Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hi, my name is Jake Roll. I'll be guest hosting for the next couple of In Doubt programs. Uh, you might recognize my voice from the most recent youth homelessness episode of In Doubt, but don't worry too much. Daniel will be back soon hosting again. Uh, but today I have the real pleasure of welcoming Jared Wilson. Uh, Jared is an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Spurgeon College, often residence at Midwestern Seminary, and director of the Pastoral Training Center at Liberty Baptist Church and doing all of that while living in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, he's here to talk about his new book, Love Me Anyway. Uh, how you doing, Jared? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Um, for anybody who's a little bit unfamiliar about you, you know what, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you get up to in your free time, hobbies, anything like that? Oh, sure, okay. Uh, yeah, so I've uh, I've been in uh, local church ministry for 20-some years. I started the uh, summer I graduated high school, actually, 1994, as a youth pastor. And uh, from there, have transitioned in the last six years uh, to teach at Midwestern Seminary, uh, which is in Kansas City, Missouri. And I teach pastoral ministry, also serve as the author in residence um, there at the seminary. And I'm still invested in my local church. Uh, I lead a, a residency program called the Pastoral Training Center, where it's uh, it's my privilege and blessing to get to kind of pass the baton, so to speak, uh, for young guys training for uh, pastoral ministry themselves to, tr- to try to um, you know, do some discipleship and spiritual formation and sort of uh, invest in the next uh, generation. So that's what I do uh, professionally, and I write books and travel and speak and all that sort of thing. Uh, in terms of hobbies, um, I'm, I'm really excited about this next season. Uh, my wife and I, we just dropped off our youngest daughter to college up in, uh, in Pennsylvania, up in the Northeast uh, United States. And um, so uh, we're getting to travel a whole lot more together. And um, we're just uh, really excited to kind of um, see what this next season uh, of life is like. So my favorite hobby is just hanging out with my wife. Awesome. Well, I'm sure she's going to hear that too. She'll be a fan of that. Sure. Too, so. um, yeah, let's get into talking a little bit about this book because I'm really, I'm really excited about it and really excited about what you're writing about um, here in, in Love Me Anyways. Um, but as we get into that, yeah, maybe as we begin, just like what led you to writing that book in this time? And was there a specific need that you saw or what sort of led you to that? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, you know, a few years ago, I began doing kind of an in-depth study on uh, on the love of God, and in fact, even some of um, my doctoral work. I'm a I'm, I'm earning my doctorate right now, and so I did really a good part of a year just sort of reading nothing but books on on the love of God and 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 you know doctrines related to love and that sort of thing. So everything from really academic stuff to even just more sort of Christian living devotional type things. And out of that sort of study came sort of a series of sermons that um, I preached at you know different churches and at conferences and things, and just really dwelling in that subject. Which to take you know maybe thirty steps back really just comes from a place in my heart. I've always struggled, even from childhood, with the sense of of felt 
love. So I, you know, I knew intellectually my parents loved me. You know, I don't come from a troubled background or anything like that. Uh, I grew up in church, so I grew up hearing all the time um, that not only does God love me, but God is love, right? As John says in First John. You know, so I knew all these things intellectually, but my felt experience was one of anxiety and insecurity and a lack of assurance and always kind of feeling like, you know, maybe he he loves me because he kind of has to, you know, um, but I don't, you know, I don't know if he likes me and I, I certainly don't feel like a lovable person. And so this book is really just sort of the eruption of all of that kind of, you know, pushed it, you know, you know down into distilled into a chapter by chapter journey through First Corinthians 13, which is, you know, maybe the most famous, you know, love passage in all of literature, certainly in the scriptures it's the most famous love passage, maybe aside from John 3.16, perhaps, and just sort of looking clause by clause, okay, what is love? How can we experience love? And so I threw in the kitchen sink. Um, it's, it's very autobiographical, so I tell a lot of my own story, uh, my marriage falling apart, uh, childhood, trying to seek out, you know, the feeling of love and, and you know, always kind of, you know, running up against a brick wall and, and, and trying to feel loved and, and to be loved, um, exploring, you know, the themes of love, especially in popular music, you know, there's a reason why love songs are the most, you know, common songs that there are, because if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter two, where Adam sees Eve, the very first recorded human words in history are, um, you know, love poetry. It's, it's a love song, Adam seeing Eve at last. And, and the way that's formatted tells us that, that he's, you know, um, in a sense, reciting, you know, this, you know, deep seated need in himself. And so since then, uh, we've been just, you know, the human you know, race. We've been trying to get a hold of this love. We wonder about love. And so all the all the chapter titles and all the subheads are love songs, titles of of love songs. Yeah, I love that. And I love especially to and really appreciate that personal approach to writing about love. And it, and it almost feels like it needs that because it would kind of be odd to have this like cold calculated idea of like, this is what love looks like. Yeah, But I think too, like I work with young adults as well in, in community groups at church and in life uh, life groups. And it feels like that word love is thrown around a lot as mm -hmm. well. And we use that word for multiple different things as well in our culture from like, I love chocolate to like, I love my nieces and nephews. <laughs> right. Those mean very different things. Yeah. But I think in, in terms of like Christian culture, we throw that around a lot too. Like, oh, uh, we say like, oh, we just need to love those people what does that mean at all yeah. like will that will this sort of speak into that or like make distinctions like what is love and what are we talking about yeah certainly so you know using sort of you know the biblical you know parameters or or you know teaching on love i offer a definition of of love and 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 certainly you know the kind of relational love because i do you know even mention that there are kinds of loves you know like i love my dog and i love ice cream and all those sorts of things and i love music and I think that's, you know, appropriate language because what we're expressing is a kind of affection. There's something about this thing or this music or, or whatever it is that speaks to me or resonates with me. Um, there's some gleam of, you know, as C.S. Lewis says, there's a gleam of celestial beauty, you know, falling on those things, um, you know, and that's why we tend to resonate with them or they resonate with us. Um, but the definition I offer of love, of, of, of relational love, is you know an orientation toward others for their good and for their glory and that relates to not just um you know god's love for us but also our love for god 
that we are trying to, you know, to magnify him, to love God is that we want to glorify him and we want to contribute to witness to his greatness, but also our love to others. That when we regard each other as fulfillers of us, if we're, if I'm trying to get out of someone or, or if I am quote unquote loving someone simply because of what they do, you know, for me or how they make me feel or, you know, so on and so forth, that's not real love according to the scriptures. You know, love is, is unilateral in the sense that I'm, I'm after their good and their glory. And as anyone who's ever loved somebody, truly loved somebody would know, that can be very costly sometimes. That can be, that can be hurtful sometimes. That can cost us quite a bit. So, you know, I, I examine that um, from the Bible and Jesus even talking about, you know, to follow him, to be a follower of him. In other words, to love him enough to identify with him and, and pledge allegiance to him. And then by extension, to follow his kingdom ways means loving other people. He says that means denying yourself and taking up your cross. And so, of course, the ultimate, you know, expression of love is, of course, what Jesus did, uh, atoning for sinners at the cross himself. And that becomes sort of the image for how we're to love others. Yeah, I, there's 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 a couple of really good things there. And, and one, it sounds like you're saying like that it's it's not just sort of like this thing that floats around like love, but it's it's almost directional. Yes. Love is, is, is directed towards something and, and others, but like God and, and people. But it's also from what you're describing there, like it's it sounds radical, which I think it is in the Bible, because um, it is about a lot of selflessness, it sounds. Well, absolutely. And I think this is one of the the great sort of ironies of First Corinthians 13 in particular, right? So again, most famous passage probably on love. It's recited at countless weddings, even, you know, even um, at, you know, at weddings where the, the, you know, bride and groom may not even necessarily be believers, you know, but they want some kind of whiff of religion or they want some sort of, in the same way we sing Amazing Grace at every funeral, you know, whether people actually believe it or not, or have been transformed by that grace or not. At every wedding, we read First Corinthians 13 because it's the love chapter. And of course you can read that. And so there's times where you think, you know, do you really believe this? Because when you read 1 Corinthians 13, the, what it's calling us to do is, is so, you know, antithetical to a lot of the romantic or sentimental notions of love. I don't think it's completely separate. Um, I talk about romance in the book and, and, you know, sentimentality and all those sorts of things and even the feeling of love. But the biblical, you know, center of love is that it is not self-seeking, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, it's not about fulfilling ourselves. It's about the good and glory of another. And that passage is so radical that we wouldn't keep a record of wrongs, that we would be patient and kind, that we would, uh, you know, not be arrogant or irritable. All, you know, the bar that it sets is just so high. As you said, it's a radical call, uh, you know, the call to love. Yeah, absolutely. It kind of seems like it, it goes right in the face of our culture, which is very um, like self, uh, what do they call it? Well, like the treat yourself sort of culture, <laughs> right? Like, like self care time and all these sort of things, and that's all yeah. we're focused on. But, but what it sounds like though is, in even doing that in that selfless love, that we're also receiving a greater love than we would from just like sitting in like whatever we call like self care, like Netflix or shopping or, or whatever. <laughs> right. It's like, yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the promise uh, from God that to know Him is is to know His love, whether you feel it or not. You know, the feeling isn't the most you know paramount thing. Although I do you know you know try to address that, and that's a serious thing because we live in a broken world and a fallen world, and we're all broken people. 
um, not just because original sin, but just because we live under the curse. So it could be things even that we're not directly responsible for people who deal with, you know, depression or anxiety and things that, you know, aren't the result of a sin per se, you know, per, you know, maybe the sins of others, but not necessarily our own, or it's just because we have frail, you know, frail bodies in a frail world, we struggle with this feeling. And so when the call comes to love others in a self-crucifying way, we think, gosh, this is the annihilation of myself. But Jesus says, no, 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 I, I've come to make your joy complete, that you will actually find yourself in the losing of yourself. And in fact, because love must have an object, when we are self-emptying, um, we see uh, in the way of Christ that he will complete us. He will fill us with his love. He will never forsake us, right? Uh, Paul writes in Romans that nothing can separate us from his love. So, um, you know, certainly what happens in the sort of self-crucifixion is that um, God doesn't leave us hanging. <laughs> you know, he doesn't say like, I'm, you know, I'm going to leave you as wretches. If we will consider ourselves wretched and submit ourselves to him, whatever that means, um, he, he's going to establish us. He's going to fulfill us. He's going to justify us. And we can know um, what it means to be loved. Yeah. And, and that gets back again to that like directional idea, right? Like we're almost a conduit because we are, we're sort of simultaneously receiving and giving because the Lord's loving us. And through that, we have that ability to, to love other people. Yeah. In fact, I'd say um, it's, it's um, extraordinarily difficult, if not impossible, to genuinely love others in this way if we are not drawing close to God, because we can't give what we don't have, right? So if you're feeling empty and you see this call, gosh, I need to empty myself for others. Well, I, I, I'm already empty. You know, I don't have anything to give. But, but, you know, as Christians, we believe in the supernaturality of, of the world and of reality. We have a, um, you know, a heavenly sense of, of existence. And therefore we know that, you know, God can fill us with his love that we might extend that out to others. Uh, you know, the power comes from him, so to speak. Yeah. And, and there seems to be an important point there. And you mentioned this phrase earlier, and I think there's an important distinction there that maybe you can speak to the difference between like this phrase that like God is love. So like he sort of inhabits that. And it's not just that God is loving, but that, that he is love. Could yes. you speak a bit into that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, because love must have an object, right? So as you know, as you said, there's you know these feelings or these ethereal kind of virtue that we might call love, and I don't think that's totally wrong uh, in the sense of just you know love is out there, so to speak. But love has an object, and you know, so it, you know you must love something else or someone else. So the question then, the theological conundrum arises: How can God be love? if there was a time when only God was, right? Because if love must have an object and, and there was a time, if, we, if you can call it that, before time, you know, was created, where, you know, because God has always existed, how can God be love if there's no object of love? Well, the answer is, is really in the doctrine of the Trinity, that God in his Trinitarian self, you know, the idea of the Trinity actually explains how God can be love in his very self, because there are three persons who exist as one God, co-eternally, simultaneously. Um, and so the Father enjoying um, you know, love for the Son and for the Spirit, and the Son enjoying love for the Father and the Spirit, and so on and so forth, the love that they enjoy together, that's how God himself is love. And the beauty of the good news then is that God didn't create us um, because he didn't feel love. He needed you know, someone to love him, you know, that sort of thing. 
You know, God doesn't need anything, but he created us essentially almost as a, an overflow. He created, you know, man and, and, you know, a woman in his image to know his love. And, and so that his love would kind of spill outside the bounds, even of his Trinitarian self that we would get to, as Peter says, um, you know, become partakers of the divine nature and, and be sort of brought into that life, you know, into that Trinitarian life, into the life of, of real divine love. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful picture too, of who God is. Cause I think yes. there's a lot, especially like I hear from young adults a lot too, who maybe like are just facing like, well, if I become a Christian, I can't do this or I can't do this. So God kind of becomes this grand, like rule master. And that's, <laughs> that's right. Means. Yeah. But this, this idea of that God created us and wants to spill out like his love for us um, through that. And I think that's important, especially in this moment. So like I said before, I lead a community group and engage a lot with young adults. I work with homeless youth and young adults here. And it just seems though, like right now, like loneliness, depression, insecurity, especially when it comes to social media is just yeah. rampant um, in our culture. What encouragement would you have for those people who are listening right now, who are feeling unlovable? Yeah. Well, stepping back just for a second, the loneliness thing you mentioned is, is, is really, a, you know, a pan generational, I think, um, certainly the younger you know, generation, I think is struggling with that, despite the fact that in a way we're more connected than we've ever been. You know, you mentioned social media. Um, we have the rise of this global connection that we now have where the world has gotten much smaller, right? You know, metaphorically, and yet we feel more you know, isolated and lonely perhaps than we ever have. But also there's been numerous, you know, articles written and there's, you know, research being conducted on older generations particularly like middle-aged men. I remember reading an article, you know, uh, last year, uh, middle-aged men where loneliness, they said, has become one of the leading causes of death, whether, um, you know, out of the angst of that, um, people adopting unhealthy habits or depression and sadly, you know, suicide that, you know, comes out of the, you know, the storm of depression and that sort of thing. But it's a killer. Um, across the board, the sense of loneliness. Deep down, we know, you know, in our insides insides, that we weren't meant to be alone. That we were meant to exist in in community and and not just in a society, <laughs> because we, you know, most of us, unless you're a hermit, you live in a society of some kind. You have some role to play, and you may be in the bottom of that society. You may be at the top, but what we see is that loneliness is not a respecter of social class or social standing. So that's what I would say. First of all, you're you're actually not alone in the feeling. The answer for anyone, homeless or wealthy or whatever it is, the answer to this deepest, you know, ache of, of our heart to to be totally known and to be totally loved, that somebody would see us as we are, you know, see our, our, our deepest thoughts, our darkest thoughts, see our sin, see our sad state and still love us. I mean, it's the premise of the book, you know, that they would love us anyway, you know, regardless. That can only come from God. And I would just share, uh, you know, from my own experience, you know, I went through a very a significant depressive season. Um, I talk about this in the book as well. Um, suicidal thoughts. My marriage was devastated. And I, I felt, um, not just that I feel, I, I, I was totally alone. I had no life-giving relational connections in, in, in life at that time. And I just wanted to check out. I, I wanted the feeling to be over. I didn't want to experience what I was experiencing anymore. And I had a sliver of faith that I was using to kind of 
begged God to do something. I didn't even know what. And, and the reminder came not in anything, you know, new that I, you know, had never heard before, but the reminder came in the good news, this message of the gospel that, that God loves sinners so much that he would send his son to die for them and rise again for them. That message, which I'd heard since I was a kid, suddenly had a new, more powerful resonance for me at my lowest moment. When I was down in the pit, you hear, you know, I heard the gospel uh, in a completely different way. So when you're at the end of your rope and you discover that maybe you feel like everybody else has left you and you, you, you know, don't know how you're going to go on and you discover that the God of the universe who is perfect and holy and completely other than us, that he comes near, that even if everyone else has abandoned you, he doesn't. The only person who would be justified in abandoning us because he is holy and we are not the one person who would have all the right in the world to abandon us and leave us unloved does not leave us unloved, that he comes near to us. And so the image that I would just sort of, you know, put out to anyone who, who you know, who feels that way or, you know, senses that they, you know, are unloved is to look at the cross because the cross of, of Jesus is the ultimate proof that God actually loves sinners. He's, he doesn't just talk a big game about being loved, but he, he paid the, you know, the highest price you could. He sent his own son to die. That's how much he loves sinners. That's a, such a beautiful and encouraging message. And I think it gets back to like who we are as people as well, you know, and talking about the Trinity and being made in the image of a relational God. Yeah. We're all made for relationships with people. Um, and, and with that, I'm really encouraged, not just for like my own sake, because I need to read this book for my own sake, <laughs> my own feelings, but it, but it almost feels in the way too of maybe not a direct like evangelical tool or like teaching, but speaking to us and knowing that this is a general feeling that everybody has. Yes. It may not be like the general feeling everybody goes like, oh, I feel like I really need to go to church or I feel like I really need to do this. But everybody, especially in this moment, yeah, where we're pulled out from people and things we usually do in relationships that ache in people's heart, that I think you know this could be a really cool moment for people to go, hey, I would love to speak to you about that, and uh, and about this type of love that's not going to get pulled away, or you're not, that's gonna, right, you know, quarantined from or whatever it may look like. Yeah, you know, if I, you know, if if I wrote sort of a you know, alternate version of the book, right? So I chose First Corinthians 13 as kind of the framework for it. But I could have chosen Romans chapter eight, which I think is like the best chapter in the, in the whole Bible. And the bookends of that chapter, you know, the very beginning addresses this sense of alienation, of condemnation. I mean, we swim in just a climate, you know, in an ocean of, you know, little uh, condemnations, you know, every day, um, even if they're not expressed that way, I see, oh, I've got to look a certain way, be a certain way, have certain stuff, experience certain things if I want to be fulfilled. And therefore, I feel condemned if I can't look that way, you know, despite my best efforts, if I can't, you know, feel that way or, you know, have those things that everybody says I got to have, all those sorts of things. And Romans 8 begins with, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, that's great. And then the whole chapter is wonderful. But then the end of the chapter then says, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, not height, nor depth, nor angels, nor demons, nor rulers, nor anything in all creation can separate you from the love of God. And if we could just bottle that up, uh, you know, and share that, get that out, 
that your circumstances don't determine, you know, how loved you are. Um, even the people around you, you know, don't impact ultimately God's disposition towards you. There's not a day when you're in Christ, there's not a day that you get up and the Lord is withholding something from you to, to see how you're going to do that day. You know, your performance, your production, how religious you can be, none of that. And then at the end of the day, no matter how the day is gone and you might've blown it, it might've been the worst day of your life or the, the latest in a succession of the worst days of your life. When you lay your head on the pillow at night, you can know that there is nothing that will diminish his love for you. It's just, it's, it's the most transformative message. If we can just believe it, it's the most transformative message uh, that there is. Yeah. And, and that's why it changes lives. I guess that's what yes. you know, brings people in. So as we, as we wrap up here, um, maybe for people who, you know, I hope a lot of people get this book and read it um, and they'll get that message from it. But maybe for people who will only hear it from here or, you know, need some help, what would you say if there was something just like a, just a little piece of what you think that message is and it's sort of wholeness that people can take with them or find hope from, I guess, whether they're listening in a Christian or a non-Christian and hope for them too. What would that sort of one message be? Yeah, well, I I would want to first um, say that it's not a, a book uh, about marriage or romantic relationships. I think sometimes when we think love or love being relationships, we think that. The book does talk about those things because obviously those are you know very common and, and important facets of relational love, but I, but I have a chapter on friendship. I have a chapter on, on the importance of the uh, church community, of a Christian community being one that is a climate of love or an atmosphere of love and what that would look like, you know, contrasted with a lot of people's experience of church, which can be a very judgmental um, experience or, or very condemnatory kind of in, environment, what a church that is loving ought to look like. But my main takeaway would be um, this feeling that you have, this desire, this longing that you have to be totally known, as I said, and to be totally loved at the same time, to be loved anyway, that somebody could see the mess that you are and love you anyway. That's a real message, and it comes from a real God, and his love is real. And that's the purpose of the book, that people would somehow experience and encounter that true love. Wow, that's incredible. And again, I'm, I'm really excited for it. With that too, like, is this book out? When does it come out? Where can people sort of like reach you, find out what you're doing, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, the book's available now. I don't know when this will air, but the day that we're recording this is the book's uh, official release date. So whenever somebody hears it, the book will be out. You can get it wherever good books are sold. Great. Awesome. Um, yeah. And anywhere people can sort of reach you or find out what you're doing, if you write new stuff or anything like that. Yeah. So you can go to jaredcwilson.com. That's my website that has links to um, all my books and my speaking engagements and uh, you know biography and all those sorts of things. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jared. We really appreciate your time. It's been a blessing for me for sure. Yeah, Jake. Thanks so much, brother. Appreciate being on here. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thanks again to Jared. And remember, if you want to hear from In Doubt or listen to any of our past conversations, subscribe to iTunes or Spotify. We're also on social media, so you can make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.
In Doubt is a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada with a focus on ministering to the spiritual needs of young adults across the country. Every week, we present a conversation with a qualified Christian leader to discuss the issues of life, faith, and culture that young people face every day. We talk about everything from spiritual disciplines to self-image, the sanctity of life, fear, forgiveness, the reliability of the Bible, sexual purity, loneliness, and joy. If it's important to the life and faith of young people, we want to talk about it. If you enjoyed the conversation with Jared this week, we've got good news. This week, we have three copies of Jared Wilson's new book, Love Me Anyway, to give away. All you have to do to win one is be one of the first three people to email us at info at Ask for the book and let us know why you listen to Indout.